So here's a fun fact for you before we begin, right? Is that when they were animating um, the final fight scene between Cloud and Sephiroth in Advent Children, uh, the concept of physics became anthropomorphic. Only for a few minutes, just so it could cry. <laughs> it manifested itself physically. Yeah. To uh, express despair and torment. Yeah, uh, it was mostly concerned with the fact that you can't really fly in the air and cut buildings in half with a sword. Really? Yeah, uh, you can't actually do that, uh, despite what the liberal media would have you believe. Well, shit, there went my weekend. I know, so it's I a real this pisser. And I thought, oh, I gotta go, I gotta go chop me up some buildings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. Um, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. If you just joined us, uh, this is uh, the Movie Boys slash spin-off Doctors, whatever you want to call it at this point. I don't fucking care. I'm Jim Sterling. I'm joined by Conrad Zimmerman. Hello, Conrad. Hello, Jim. Oh, you know, people, like, well, hey, a lot of people have been, like, waiting for us to do this one. Like, mm -hmm. eager. And I... Someone like suggested that it, it, as a reason why we hadn't is that we might not be familiar with Final Fantasy VII, and that was so weird to me. I've yeah, I I don't know where this came from. I think it was people in denial about the fact that I disliked Final Fantasy Thirteen at the time. Now, of course, as with almost everything, history has vindicated me on that, and most people now agree um, that Final Fantasy Thirteen wasn't very good. Uh, as with most things I call at the time, I'm ridiculed, and then years later it becomes unvoked and, and fucking fashionable to say it. Uh, but I remember back then when I reviewed that, there were a lot of people saying, well, Jim doesn't like uh, Japanese RPGs. Jim doesn't like Final Fantasy. And Final Fantasy VII was one of those seminal games for me. Final Fantasy VII was a game that uh, really helped transform my view on what video games could be. Uh, that they weren't just idle distractions, but could be, uh, you know, story-driven and, and evocative and draw you in. Um, Metal Gear Solid had that same effect on me as well. But Final Fantasy VII, uh, the first time I ever experienced it, I just watched my, uh, my brother play it the whole way through. Uh, and then later on, I played it through myself. And every now and then, I go back to it and go back to it. Um, when Final Fantasy VII was released on the PS4, uh, got it straight away. Um, I, I'm not sure if there's a version of it that's been released that I haven't ended up caving and getting at some point. Um, obviously, I talk about Final Fantasy IX a lot because that's my favourite entry. But Final Fantasy VII, like a lot of people in the UK, was my first because before then, the UK sort of didn't really get... Uh, very many releases. I know we, we did have some before then, I think, but Final Fantasy VII is what sort of brought it mainstream in, in, in Britain. Uh, well, and it, and it, a lot of people heard of it through but that But I don't one. think that was, that was really limited to Britain either. I mean, certainly in the United States, we knew what Final Fantasy was, um, and, and there it certainly had its fans here, and we'd gotten several of the releases, certainly not all of them uh, by this point, but... Um, even still, people who I never would have thought would be interested in a Final Fantasy game 
were interested in Seven. And it was a mm-hmm. kind of a cultural phenomenon. It was the. the I still remember the TV commercials. Thing. Oh, yeah. I remember the, yeah, the TV commercials that showed off some of the CG cutscenes. Didn't really show off much of the game itself. Um, yeah, I, I remember the, the sh- uh, sh- like a zooming shot on Cloud. Uh, and oh, and the pan around Midgar, and yeah, it's it was. It's just it's funny to to hear that people suggest that we're unfamiliar with it. Like, well, because I, I well, it's so hard to imagine being someone who was interested in video games of a certain age, mm-hmm. who has no experience with Final Fantasy VII. Especially people who've covered it, you know, covered games to the degree we have. Like yeah. to be not familiar with Final Fantasy VII is. Uh, anomalous to say the least it's an, that would be a curiosity <laughs> right and and where you know for you it was uh, a demonstration in a lot of ways of the you know narrative potential of games and things like that and, and it was that way for a lot of people I, I think it was also in a lot of ways uh, a mechanical revelation uh, it it really created systems that were flexible uh easily understood and had enough depth to them that there was something to explore and and really got got me thinking about RPG mechanics at a time when up to that point you know it had largely just been turn-based stuff uh, and really simple at that uh, the yeah. active time battle system and the materia systems were awesome and, yeah. and I still yeah. think they're incredibly cool Oh yeah, I, I love I love games that still do the ATV thing. Um, you know, some of the earlier Final Fantasies did that. Um, Final Fantasy VII, of course, popularized it. I would say in the same mm-hmm. way Resident Evil had popularized survival horror for many people. Um, the Materia system, I re- I remember it being uh, at the time somewhat. Uh, some people were critical of it because it it removed some of the individuality of characters. Uh, you didn't have a character who was simply the mage, simply the fighter, because they could all heal. They could all, although you know, stat-wise and uh, the limit breaks and everything, still I think kept characters within certain roles. And and uh, but and materia allowed you to diversify ad- more. It was always more advantageous to play to a character's strengths anyway. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so it, it merely offered you. You're not going to turn Aerith into a a big melee fighter. No, yeah, never going to happen. So, yeah, I I, I love Final Fantasy VII. I mean, I, I think it's kind of dopey in a lot of ways. And, oh, of and, course, and cheesy as all hell. Yeah, like there is, <laughs> like there's a ton to be critical about in regards to Final Fantasy VII, but it is still a game. That is, I think, very worthy of uh, respect and admiration. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's earned, it's more than earned its place in history. Yeah, I know that a lot of people will say, you know, Final Fantasy VII's overrated. Final Fantasy VI is the best one. All this, all that. But you know, you can argue from a taste perspective all you want. Final Fantasy VII earned its place in history, mm-hmm. and it's a well-deserved place. And I'm intensely familiar with it. Um, I've, I've I've played it over and over again on on portable systems, on consoles, on PC, uh, all of them. I I 
I still go back to, I've got, you know, partway through a, a gameplay, I've not picked it up in quite some time, but I've got a session saved on my PS4. Um, love Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, I have. I Not so much a lot I, of the related stuff that came afterwards. It's probably been about 10 years since I actually played Final Fantasy VII last. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't finish it, but I got quite a way through. But I did do like two or three playthroughs, um, you know, uh, over time. And, and I did the one run, you know, where you get all of the materia and max it all out. And because, you know, I don't know if I ever defeated Ruby Weapon. I don't remember if yeah. I actually accomplished that. But I'm I trying to remember now, because I remember I was doing a lot. Um, the big run I had was, uh, you know, me really trying to get everyone up to level 100, get all their weapons, all that kind of stuff. I, don't, I can't remember, because I was young at the time, uh, so I can't remember how far I got. I don't have the time for that shit these no. days. Um, who does? Uh, Ubisoft thinks we all do. <laughs> But that's another story. Um, Final Fantasy VII, I once faked an illness for two weeks to play it. I managed to get 14 days. I mean, part of that was just that my mother just didn't give a shit about us. So it was easy to, yeah, easy to skive off. But yeah, I'd take the PlayStation over to my grandparents and I'd, uh, I'd play it there while going, <laughs> when anyone looked at me. Um, great memories. Great two weeks that was. Yeah, I was uh, a senior in high school, I think, when I I played it for the first time. Uh, and it uh, my I had just I was just about to start my senior year, I think. And it was uh, I guess it would have been the summer of 1997. And I was working a summer job, and I had a birthday coming up, and I saved up uh, some money from. Uh, birthday money and, and, and my job to buy a PlayStation and my girlfriend at the time bought me Final Fantasy 7 um, and that was I, I, I looked at her kind of curiously at the time because she really liked spending time with me <laughs> but she gave me this it, I was getting mixed signals uh, from me yeah that is a not an optimum gift it was an odd like choice on her with. part but um, and yeah, and then I I devoted every spare moment for the next like two months probably playing it. Um, yeah. Who's uh, your best one? Who's your best one out of like the main Final Fantasy characters? Final Fantasy Seven characters. Who's all right? Well, who's see? I like Kate Pliable. Sith. I like Kate Sith. I don't think anyone would have been surprised by me saying that. Kate Sith. I don't care what his flaws are from a gameplay perspective. Always in my party. Wild yeah. card. Yeah, I love Kate Sith. Uh, I like the mm-hmm. I love the concept of Kate Sith. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That it, you know, he's a, a robot cat riding a giant stuffed Moogle, being controlled by an executive <laughs> in an office somewhere. We can Shinra double agent. I fucking <laughs> awesome stuff. Yeah, so he he to me is is uh, is my favorite. It's it's so also, silly. If you've got him in your party, when spoilers for Final Fantasy Seven, so people still get arsy if I mention it. All right, spoilers for Final Fantasy Seven. Obviously, we're talking about a fucking movie sequel to it. But if you've got Kate Sith in your party when Aerith dies, um, his attempt to cheer you up is adorable. 
doesn't tries to do this little dance. It doesn't work, and then he just sort of shimmies off, like yeah. his head down, the Moogle's head down. And they're just kind of shimmy off with the Moogle's feet, all just sort of flapping on the floor. It's sort of it almost undermines the, the sadness of the scene, but there's <laughs> something about like how adorable it is that just adds that little extra layer of poignancy to it. Oh, poignancy! The way it, it falls flat, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And just uh, shimmies off. It's uh, it was sad when she died. Yeah, no. All through college, I had a Kate Sith keychain that oh. I I you know, had my keys on that I carried around, and uh, the cat eventually <laughs> wore off. I guess you could say <laughs> from getting caught on shit or or whatever. And I, it was just the Moogle that was left. Um, God, yeah, no, he was my favorite, and all of me, all of my friends in high school you know, played the game and had their own character that they identified with. We had a Barrett. We had a Red 13. We definitely had a Vincent. Jesus Christ. Uh, we liked to rename Aerith to Human Kebab because when that moment comes and Cloud yells her name, it's awesome. It is. <laughs> or like, you know, who wants a kebab or something. <laughs> There's a video on my YouTube channel if if people want to find it, that is the uh, the scene of Sephiroth uh, killing Aerith. Oh, I remember this. It's set to um, "Jump" by Van Halen. It's pretty good. I'm pretty. It's proud. good. Yeah. It's a good As time. was your compilation for uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> I just watched it the other day. <laughs> yeah, if you go to Conrad Zimmerman's YouTube channel, it's Conrad Zimmerman. Um, he did a compilation after we did our uh, podcast about Mortal Kombat Annihilation. He does a there's a compilation. Uh, I think we talked about it before here, but it's worth bringing up again because even if you've already seen it, it's still worth watching. Um, but just that movie's <laughs> best bit set to a jump, and it's it's a delight. Oh, thank you. I yeah, I, I think that's my finest my finest YouTube work is in that jump video. <laughs> Uh, uh, but speaking of work, uh, yeah. this was one work of many. Was Final Fantasy Advent Ch- Final Fantasy Seven, I guess, Advent Children, uh, called compilation of Final Fantasy Seven. Well, this now is for like me, a, a lore expansion, right? Basically? Yeah. Well, you could you would you could call it a lore expansion. I would call it Square Enix mining Final Fantasy Seven for as much fucking money as it could get. Well, yes, uh, yes. Call me a cynic. Uh, but yeah, this so-called meta series, which included movies, uh, there was a movie, which is the, the one we're talking about. There's an anime, which I guess we'll have to do at some point. Um, last order, uh, that was sort of a, a cartoon basically. Uh, you had, uh, games, Dirge of Cerberus, I played uh, that Crisis one. Core. Uh, I never played Dirge. I did play Crisis Core. I played Dirge, but not Crisis Core. Yeah, well, there you go. We, yeah. That's why we're such a good team, because we, we cover the other's flaws. I, I don't liked, think either I, I of us know, played before Dirge Crisis, intrigued though. Me. It, it did. It, it, I didn't finish it. I didn't get that far in. And, and a few months ago, I actually loaded it up in an emulator and, and tried it again. And, you know, it's a little sketchy on the emulator, so it's not uh, ideal. But, uh, like, interesting idea to make a game centered around Vincent that's a like a third-person shooter. I, yeah. I wouldn't call it good, 
But as a novelty, I'm still curious about it, I guess. Yeah. I would I would say this. If I if it was for some reason ever sort of brought back as part of those re-released PS2 games that the PS4 sometimes flogs, I'd probably pick it up out of curiosity. Yeah. Um but I wasn't too interested in the time just because I thought that this four-year period of exploiting Final Fantasy VII was just too much. Um, and for me, this was the beginning of Square Enix just putting out excuses for its art department to have a big old masturbate. Um, it was all style over substance, uh, and An Advent Children has that in spite. Mm-hmm. Um if you take it as a fan film, as a fan film with a ludicrous budget, it's all it's watchable. But to be considered the sequel to Final Fantasy VII is just nonsense. Um, and just some of the lore expansion just got so mired in like overall anime bullshit. Um, Crisis Core uh, was great as a game. But they just started introducing, like it was that Bioshock 2 issue of, oh, here's suddenly this important character you've never fucking heard of. Mm -hmm. And all of them were fucking angsty as shit. Like, I'm not going to say that the original Final Fantasy VII didn't have its angst (laughs) and that Cloud wasn't wanky in that regard, but at least he also had a sense of humour. And there was some silliness to it like intended silliness as my my very best friend would put it cloud may have had block hands but he had feelings damn it (laughs) um but yeah it was uh for me the beginning of this sort of just square Enix wanking itself to death um it does seem like a tipping point of exploitation like where where they're they're finally you know what all of this other stuff we're doing, it's good, it's making money, but you know what really made us the money? That thing. That thing. How can that we thing. make that money again? It's the one reason I'm thankful that Final Fantasy IX was not all that popular, as much as it's my favourite one. Yeah. Because Square Enix didn't go back and fuck with it. <laughs> didn't go back and just sort of add ludicrous amounts of pointless angsty shite to the canon and actually forget what the characters were um like cloud was never just a miserable wanker but as the years have gone on that's how he's now been characterized the show-off aspects of him all of that like it's, it's part of what makes me dread the uh, the remake is i feel like they're gonna forget like what cloud how cloud was written in the original and just go with what has become the the parody version that they've started to just take i say started that they then took seriously and took it at face value um as for reno and rude i mean talk about getting characters wrong uh, advent children i wonder if they knew anything about the Turks as characters because the comic relief of Reno and Rude was that even Reno was pretty like um, stoic he had this sort of cool calm collected persona 
Whereas here, they're basically like two thirds of the Three Stooges. And 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 while I acknowledge that yes, they have totally mischaracterized them, they are still somehow the most entertaining aspect of the film. Like it's yeah it, yeah they're the, they're the only point at which the film has uh, they're the only elements of the film that seem geared towards entertaining the audience so much <laughs> yes. as as telling the audience things or showing the audience something that they wanted to see, and that's why they paid Yeah, the just pure shameless fan uh, service, Yeah, uh, which is what most of this movie is. Um, we were joking before we started that sometimes Conrad will get through a fight by just saying, you know, fighting happens, because we don't need a, a lurid description of all the action, because it's normally just a fight. Like, after the first 50 minutes of this movie, the rest of the film can be described as fighting happens. Just the about. movie. It's yeah. like a 90, 98 or so minute movie, like, like you know, 90 and some change, I think. And the last 40 minutes or so, I would say, is just one long fight scene yeah. that doesn't really tell a story. I mean, the final fight with Sephiroth is the most shameless aspect. Because first of all, the movie's plot is, what if Sephiroth but loads? And then the last fight is like, what if Sephiroth but for real dough? And the fact that the fight lasts just long enough to be the entirety of One Winged Angel. (laughs) And is nothing but just flashy shots and the occasional quip from Sephiroth. And the, the, it's not like, he, the, the the end of the fight has any meaning. Mm-mm. He just gets beaten. Mm-hmm. Normally, a big climactic fight will tell a story, and like maybe the villain will die in some important, meaningful way. But here, it's just like it may as well have just actually been a random boss fight in a game. <laughs> That's it. Like it's just suddenly Sephiroth, and then goodbye Sephiroth. Uh, now suddenly Sephiroth. That was. Um... NBC's original idea <laughs> for uh, a late 90s sitcom where Sephiroth uh, uh, gets divorced and goes <laughs> and tries to run a fashion magazine or something like that. Um, did not, you know, didn't, didn't go too well. They wound up going with uh, Brooke Shields instead. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd have watched Suddenly if they'd have replaced Brooke with, with Sephiroth. Yeah, I've, I've, never, I've never seen Suddenly Susan and had to look up the Wikipedia earlier today <laughs> to have enough information to be prepared for that joke <laughs> that I knew that I was going to make at some point. I, uh, I have watched it, but I can't remember a damn thing about it. I think the intro sequence had a really big looking into a window. Huh. She was, like, massive. Like Godzilla right. size. Like, if anyone had, like, you know, a gigantism fetish and like Brooke Shields, I think that intro would have worked for them. Um, but I might have been thinking about a different sitcom. Did it have Eric Idle in it or not? Uh, yeah, I think Eric Idle was, like, her publisher. Like he was the or boss or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I watched it a little bit once, a couple of episodes. But should we talk about um, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children? Yeah, yeah, I, I think we should. I, I think we should do that. All right. Why the fuck not? We begin right where Final Fantasy VII left off, with Red Thirteen leading his pups through a desert to the ruins of Midgar. And then... 
Yeah, and remember that that was set five hundred years after the events of Final Fantasy VII. So right. it's good that we picked up there and get to see what the world is like in that five hundred years. Um, now that five hundred years space. has passed, you know, and we're about to have a new adventure. Mm-hmm. We go back four hundred ninety-eight years. <laughs> Turks are in a helicopter exploring some cave, the northern cave, which is, you know, if if you know Final Fantasy VII, that's significant. Oh, yeah. If you don't know Final Fantasy VII, you are <laughs> fucked if you watch this film. You're already screwed because you have no idea about the significance of the northern cave. Yeah. Like, I get why someone would expect us not to have done this if they believed that we were unfamiliar with the game because if you're not it's it's i mean even as someone intensely familiar with the game it's still mostly gibberish oh oh you know what and we didn't clarify this before we started we're we're watching we're talking about advent children complete oh yeah yeah um and that's, uh, you know, as opposed to the original Advent Children. I had the original Advent Children on DVD at one point, and I could not find it. Uh, I had it on a UMD at one point on my PSP. <laughs> I watched it on a flight once. <laughs> I've seen the film a couple of times. You had it on a UMD. I had it on a UMD. <laughs> I can't even remember how I ended up with it on a UMD. Surely I didn't buy it. <laughs> I had Spider-Man 2 on a UMD, but that come with it. It was some sort of promotion. Right. <laughs> so, God, uh, did I buy it? I wound up renting from Amazon, and uh, there were two versions on there, and I wanted to watch this dubbed. Uh, that would have been my, my first choice, because mm-hmm. I really don't, like, I have, I get nothing out of Japanese voice actors, really, or very little. Yeah, and uh, so I like having subtitles over dub so that I can even compare the differences. Uh, that was not an option, I guess, because the way Amazon encodes their stuff, they only had the default audio track available, and that was Japanese. Um, yeah, both of us have watched this. I've seen it in the past with the English dub. Um, I've also seen it in the past with the Japanese dub. So either way. And even if you're not watching the complete edition or whatever, it's, you know, Final Fantasy Advent Children Complete, it's mostly the same thing. Oh, yeah, no, this is just, just 26 minutes and longer service. somehow. Yeah. I, 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 and, and that's... Uh... I can't for the life of me remember what the extra 26 minutes is. I, I looked at a list of the changes on a webpage, and I, I couldn't tell you, like... I can't even begin. Um, but so, uh, I, I mean, I'm still. I mean, someone will correct us and tell us what they are. Uh, just like someone, I guarantee, has written out how and why an Aerith melee build is viable. Oh, I'm sure, no doubt. <laughs> After what I said earlier, no doubt. And and there's, um, but I watched the PG-13 version that Amazon had. There's also an unrated version, but I was hoping that I the watched P- the Red 13 version. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm familiar with Final Fantasy VII. I'm familiar with it. Uh, I, I, I was hoping that that might be the dub, and it turned out to not be the case. So not only did I not get my dub, 
Uh, I also didn't get to see the scene where Sephiroth slathers peanut butter all over his asshole and Red 13 licks it out as he's porking uh, Cloud. Uh, so, yeah. Sorry, that's not in my scene. synopsis. It's a good scene. Yeah. It, they uh, they use the, they actually, like, it's halfway through the fight and they stop playing One Winged Angel and play the gold saucer scene. Uh, the, the, the music from right. it. Yeah, yeah. And then Sephiroth looks at the camera and... Uh, <laughs> Just after smearing the peanut butter on his ass, he says, now I'm going to get my gold saucer right now. <laughs> and you don't need a ticket. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> I'm really pleased with myself. So the Turks are in this helicopter exploring the northern cave, and they get into some scrape and, you know, hightail it out of there. And then we're shown the live stream, and Marlene, in a voiceover, is going to give you... Only tiniest bits of exposition mm-hmm. that that you're gonna get here. So enjoy it. Like if you haven't played Final Fantasy VII and you're watching this, you need to cling to this synopsis like a child clinging to her mother in uh, turbulence. And and the worst part is is that I even know that my description of this is more useful. Then that voiceover, because it has been filtered through my brain, which is already familiar. Yes. But uh, she explains how the Shinra Corp used the life stream to create energy, and that was killing the planet, but they didn't care. And Shinra also had soldiers, conveniently called Soldier, that had cells from Genova in them. And Genova was a calamity that fell from the sky, their words. Yes. One of these soldiers, Sephiroth, was the best, but became disenchanted when he learned of the experiments performed on him and vowed revenge on the planet. A bunch, you do. A bunch of battles happen to the point where the, bat- the planet itself has to intervene and uses the life stream as a weapon, which destroyed tons of shit. And that was two years ago. And so as this voiceover continues, we're shown the town of Edge, which is named so for being on the edge of the ruined city of Midgar. And we see lots of people. Good some of them, convention. Mostly kids. Uh, mostly kids here seem to be sick with something called geostigma that uh, Marlene is talking about. They, I don't think they name it yet at this point, but uh, this includes Marlene's friend, Denzel, who is Sora? Yeah? <laughs> yeah. 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 He's Sora. Let's uh, go with that. Okay. Uh, she's sitting next to uh, Sora in a room at the back of the Seventh Heaven Bar, uh, which is a place where, if, if you know about Final Fantasy VII, that's a significant location. Uh, yeah. If, there's if a lot of um, opportunities for fans to just point at things and say, I'm familiar with it. I'm familiar with it. I clapped when I saw it. Right. Um, so she's in the back of this bar doing this narration and a phone rings and Tifa shows up. Hey, I know her. Uh, I'm familiar with her. And, and as she wonders aloud where cloud is, she answers that phone saying strife delivery service and takes a message. Now, if you are unfamiliar with final fantasy seven, 
the fuck is the Strife, Strife Delivery Service? But you see, if you know, now you know Cloud's a delivery guy? Yeah. Wow. Stepping up in the world, Cloud. It's, uh, that's a really good use for your abilities. I mean, considering what a shithole everything seems to be, that's probably a really good job. What could Buster Sword do for you? <laughs> be stuck into a bit of a mountaintop looking broody. It's funny that seems you should to be mention what that, because that's exactly <laughs> what we cut to. <laughs> um, and uh, Cloud is hanging out next to his old sword, brooding, because that's what he do now. Uh... He checks his yeah. voice. He delivers wankst <laughs> to people who don't need it. And he's got a flip phone. Yeah, flip phones, baby. Well, this was 498 years ago. Come on. Oh, it's... Okay, uh, you know what? Before we forget, I do want to bring up that now... We know what happened, what the place looks like 498 years from now. We yeah. know that this city they're rebuilding on the edge of the crater does not survive somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it now? Who can say? <laughs> uh, so Klaus checking his voicemail. He gets a message from Tifa saying that Reno, hey, I recognize that name if I know Final Fantasy, uh, wants to hire him. So after pausing for a moment to look at the title of the film that appears next to him. <laughs> he does. He totally... <laughs> Gloriously a mess of moments. Uh, and then he has a flash of something that indicates that uh, there's something not right with him. He goes riding off on his motorcycle. And shortly thereafter, three more motorcycles ride up and kick over his sword. And Good. They have creepy gray-haired people who are introduced as Kadaj, Yazoo, and Laz. I always liked that one of them was called Yazoo, uh, yep. because that's a brand of milk. Oh, is it? In the UK, that is a brand of milk. Huh. Uh, it's also a county uh, in Mississippi here. I just think it's interesting that like, there are Zs in two of the names. Seems a bit excessive. That is more Zs than a group should have. It's, it's a fairly uncommon, you know, letter. Yeah. Either way, um, even if you're not all that familiar with Final Fantasy VII, it's pretty easy to tell they're related to Sephiroth somehow. Wait, what? You don't say. Is it because they have grey hair and wear black? Like dressed exactly that, fucking like him. <laughs> that, that, that stream down from their bodies in odd billowy ways that clothing shouldn't do? Yeah. Um, I will say, like, from one perspective, I find that idea interesting. Um, to the point where I still maintain that I don't think... I know it was impossible to have done. And let's face it, this entire movie was an excuse to lead up to a fight with Sephiroth. I think from a story perspective, if this movie was actually interested in telling a coherent, good story... I'd have rather Sephiroth not have been in it at all and had this be all about Kadaj. Yep. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. He and had the, the makings of an interesting character. Yeah, I think I think if they could have, like, cut down the fighting by 20 minutes, 
and spread out some more character development, yeah. uh, specifically for Kadash, but but also a little bit for Yazoo and Lars, who... I think so, but, like because they, in a way, you know, could have been seen as representing different aspects of Sephiroth. In they, descriptions they, the, the movie... of the story that I have read, they are. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you don't get it really, you know, it doesn't... It it's doesn't not come across here that they're or highlighted in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, so they're looking for mother, uh, and so they say, and they give cl- give chase to Cloud when they spot him riding towards Bidgar. Uh, they're calling him brother. So hmm, yeah, maybe there's a relationship to Sephiroth here. I don't know. If if, if I've never seen, if I've never played Final Fantasy VII. Uh, it's just a bunch of pretty boys chasing another pretty boy. Yeah. Then again, if you if you are even just a bit familiar with Final Fantasy VII, you should be able to tell by now, even this early, that this is all just leading up to bringing back Sephiroth for a fight. Yeah. Uh, so chasing happens, uh, at least for two of them, who summon shadow beasts that jump around and get hit by Cloud's sword, which he keeps stored in his motorcycle with many other swords. In his motorcycle. He's got a lot of swords in that bike. He has so many swords. He has swords in swords. Yeah. Last episode we talked about a bike in a tank. But now we've got swords in a bike. Next film, I'm hoping that there's something in a sword. (laughs) Like a flashlight or something. (laughs) It's the Matryoshka dolls of... Yeah. Of the movie boys. Uh... So Kadaj is just hanging back, and he's, like, making a phone call. <laughs> sure. Uh, he's calling someone he thinks has mother, and, and just when things are starting to look really bad for Cloud, and he's going to be tackled by this whole horde of shadow beasts all converging on his once on him at once, Kadaj just calls them off, and they turn into mist. Yeah. This is a bit of a theme in this film, is that at some point or another, a lot of the main characters are pretty much dead if not for the villains just deciding not to kill them. Yep. I mean, they are really punked out and made to look terrible in this film. Yeah, they are. I think, uh, yes, there's just about every combat encounter up to the midpoint of the film uh, ends with them getting them, the, the heroes getting soundly, soundly trounced and the opportunity to kill them clearly present. And then yeah. just not. Is because it, we need them still. Well, they're terrible bad guys. They're just bad at this. Yeah. yeah. So, Cloud rides on, getting some voicemails from Barrett, uh, who has struck oil somewhere. Good for Barrett. Yeah, just reminding us that the other characters are there, because they won't have much bearing on the plot. Because there isn't much of a plot. No, they're, they're have a bearing just, they on. just need to be there for the heroes assembled moment. Yeah, and it's so that you know we can say, "Oh, I know who that is. Right. I'm familiar with it." Uh, and and another message from Tifa who says that Reno's called again, and so Cloud goes to meet Reno, who comically attacks him upon arrival, and then gets locked outside the building. Yes, which to anyone familiar with Final Fantasy VII, you'll realize this is where. Th- things deviate. This is where it goes a little off the rails, yeah. Because Reno, I don't know if people remember, 
was a rather... Like, he wasn't as quiet as Rude, but he was pretty serious. Yeah, he was a serious dude. He he, no, he, was, he was threatening. Yeah. Way, like this he, guy is not. He The comedy from him came from the fact that he was a punch clock villain. Mm-hmm. The, it was all business, and, you know, there's that wonderful optional side quest in Final Fantasy VII where you get to see them on holiday, and they won't fight you because they're not on the clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this great moment, um, but... For some reason, and of course I know character development can happen, a lot can happen in two years, but I don't know how you go from how Reno was in Final Fantasy VII to what he is in this. And I am i do wonder if it's just that they realised there needed to be something entertaining in this movie. It, I, it couldn't all be fights. It couldn't all be po-faced brooding and fights. Yeah, it yeah. couldn't all be fights or broody gibberish that doesn't really make much sense. So they needed some comic relief, and all they had to hand were the Turks. So they just became a wacky duo. Which just... That, and that is... Why... Why couldn't we have Kate Sith? Yeah. Honestly, why, be, why not? Why couldn't it be Reeve and Rufus coming to terms, you know, Rufus accepting Shinra's role in what happened, and the two of them working together? Still could have had the Turks, still could have had them be serious, doing serious shit, and and then have Kate Sith to fall back on with comic relief. That would have cut into the fighting time. Yeah. We need a lot of like slow motion followed by really fast quick cuts. Um, we need a lot more of that and a lot less plot development and character arcs, please. And is there even a single character arc no. in this? Film? Uh, well, okay, yes, there's Cloud. The whole thing is Cloud accepting that he can't save everyone. And... That's yeah, him coming to terms with with his weaknesses and faults and being all right with the fact that he's not, you know, all you know, brilliant in everything. I yeah. guess. I guess that's it. Yeah. My, I guess my question still stands. Are there any character arcs no, in no, this it game? Is singular. In this yeah. film? It is just... It is just... Uh, I was going to say it's all about Cloud, but it isn't. Because um, it isn't really about Cloud. Uh, that's just an arc they threw in because I guess it's a pretty easy one. Um, no, the film is entirely about a fight with Sephiroth. <laughs> yeah, it, it tries to portray itself as a story about Cloud. Yeah, but, but instead it is a story it's like about getting Sephiroth to a place where he and Cloud could fight because they killed Sephiroth. <laughs> yes. It's like we gotta get one winged angel and a fight with Sephiroth in there, and the whole movie is them clawing their way there. <laughs> Interspersed with, you know, oh I recognize that character. Oh look, it's the cannon. I recognize the, the big fucking gun. Yeah. Oh look, the destroyed Shinra headquarters. I know it, I know it, I'm familiar with it. Yep, that's pretty much it. So We're being very harsh for what is, you know, a high school fan film. I'm sorry about that, folks. And and again, like as 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 I say before, as much as it disrespects the characters of Root and Reno as written the way they're portrayed in this, they are executed in an entertaining way. Like all of this stuff is kind of fun. It's just wrong. That's it's the wrong characters. They are funny. Yeah. Like. I remember in the English dub um, when Reno is talking through the door. Uh, there's a, he's actually quite funny. Mm-hmm. It's just he's the wrong character. 
so uh, Rude threatens Cloud a little bit, but Rufus uh, Shinra shows up in a wheelchair and uh, and covered in a you know he it's like Island of Doctor Moreau, you know it's like a you've seen that right, the version with um, uh, Marlon Brando. I actually haven't. Oh God! Uh, funnily enough. Oh God! Okay, so you've got you've got to watch it, and then you have to read about it a little bit. Like read about. I know a little about the the summer Brando's behavior. Yeah, yeah, because like you like the film's a trade wreck, but the production yeah. didn't he like insist film... on the on various aspects of the character that were not in the script? Oh yeah, or something like he wanted to wear certain things and. Yeah, yeah, and he and he had this. Uh, there was a, a little person that he had with him that he insisted be in every possible shot. It had nothing to do with anything. And I, I was listening to something else. I can't remember what it was, but apparently he won. He suggested to the director that they end the film with him taking off his like hood thing and revealing he has a blowhole on the back of his head. <laughs> I remember reading about that now that you brought it up. I remember hearing something about a blowhole in the head. <laughs> so good. Uh, but anyway, yes, it's he, Rufus is all in this shroud thing. And, uh, and he takes responsibility for what happens to the planet, and he's offering Cloud a job, uh, helping them to do their investigation of what happened and how to fix the planet. Uh, he explains that they'd been hanging around the Northern Cave, but that's where they got attacked by Kadaj's trio of, of people. And so, you know, Rufus wants to hire Cloud to deal with them, and Cloud basically tells him to shove it. Uh, Tifa and Marlene head to the church in the Midgar ruins. Hey, I know that place! I recognize that. I know what Midgar is. And, and they find that Cloud has been living there. He's got a little bedroll and, you know, coffee pot. Um, Big-ass chest full of materia. And uh, discovering a bandage, they realize that, that he has the geostigma, and that's why he's been so distant from them lately. So uh, Marlene insists that they wait there for his return. And back wherever Rufus was, uh, Kadaj has now beaten up Reno and Rude. Rufus claims to not have what Kadaj is looking for, saying it dropped from the helicopter that they were escaping in. And so Kadaj threatens Rufus and explains that, you know, he needs mother for a reunion in which a group of his brothers and sisters, which are people infected with the geostigma, will assemble and take revenge on the planet. It is really early for master plan territory here. We're like 12 minutes into this movie. <laughs> well, as people will find out, it's best to get the plot out of the way quick in this one. You gotta hurry up and get all the story done so the fighting can happen. And I, as I understand, some of this is, I think, part of Advent Children Complete with the additional 26 minutes of footage. I don't think this level of explanation of the villain motivations originally existed this early in. Could be. It's been so long since I watched. You know, I think the very last time I ever did watch it was on a flight to England on a UMD. Um, back in, fuck, I can't. I couldn't even tell you. It must be like maybe ten years ago. 
No, not mm. ten years ago. It'd be no, sooner than that. But that like, like seven, seven or eight years ago. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Kadash also reveals to Rufus that he and his pals are some kind of incomplete version of Sephiroth that needs the Genova cells to become whole. Oh, good to get that out of the way quick. Well, good. Yeah. I mean, I, well, now, yeah. Now, now we know how to get Sephiroth back. Good. So Cloud's brooding back at his old sword. That, that's, that was just to let the fans know. Don't worry, he's coming. <laughs> Cloud's brooding at his old sword again, which he sticks back in the ground after it had been knocked over. Uh, he remembers Zack, and, and he has a, a flare-up of the old Geo stick, but it's a lot like herpes. Uh, mm-hmm. Just every once in a while. You know, you can live with it. for It will eventually be fatal, I guess. That's the implication. Um it's not happening. Like, I've never seen now. anybody die from geostigma in this film. But it's said that people do. Yeah. It really just manifests seemingly as a strange black necrotic looking rash and maybe some coughing and fever. But mostly it's just another wanky name Square Enix came up with. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, uh, Are they Square Enix at this point? Let me... I can't remember anymore. Square Enix. Yeah, that's what it says. Oh, another another, another nonsense thing they say. Mimetic legacy of Genova. Oh, yes, yes. The fuck, guys? Come on. I think, like, someone had watched... Uh, sort of watched someone had played too much Metal Gear Solid, Solid games. Two. Yeah. And just wanted to throw it in. <laughs> they... they, they what, they played Metal Gear Solid 2, but did not seemingly come away with it with understanding of what memetics were. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in this film makes sense. <laughs> uh, at the church, Tifa and Marlene think Cloud has returned, but it's Lowe's looking for Mother. He settles for having the fighting with Tifa. Uh, pretty good fight. I did like, uh, I did always like the piano version of the fight music from FF7 during this bit. Yep, uh, I like the, uh, always lands on her feet kind of thing Tifa has throughout this fight. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a good fight, like, like, the fight scenes are good. Yes, they're, they're, they're well flashy and silly animations. and they don't obey physics. You kind of got to switch your brain off to enjoy them. But yeah, I'm not. They're not bad. I'm not into the we're in midair swinging our swords stuff. Yeah, people like flying with no given momentum at each other. Yeah, that that doesn't do it for me. But most of the other, you know, so that but that's that's really largely limited to the very f- final battles in this. Uh, as a yeah. po- most everything else has some sense of grounding, uh, on, at least on some level. Uh, there's some, there's still some pretty goddamn ridiculous stuff. But like, like we say, uh, and and I don't know if we said this already in the show, but we were talking about it beforehand. I mean, these uh, squares masters of style over substance. Just, and, yeah. and if you're going, and this may have been the beginning of that for me, like when I started to really think that. Man, they really are deciding to just put flashy visuals above everything else. But if you're if you're gonna do that, and we see that attempted by many of the films that we we cover, uh, take your cues from the way Square Enix does it, their animations, because they're yeah. they're tiny. If you just impeccable. want, 
if you just want like visually dazzling fluff, there's no one better in the business than Square Enix. Yeah. They know exactly how to pace this stuff out, where to slow it down so that you can really sort of soak in the details and and how quote unquote awesome the thing that's happening is. <laughs> um they get it right in in a way yeah, that yeah. uh obviously you know, is easier to do with animation than with some other things, but that doesn't take away from the craftsmanship of it. So good, good for them. It'd be nice if they had something, you know, supporting it. But, uh, but at least we get flashy fights. Uh, though it appears that Tifa wins this this fight with Lowe's, uh, he rises to answer his phone, which has the Final Fantasy VII fanfare uh, music. Battle victory music. Yeah, that was a cute little joke as well. Uh, the whole flip phone and, thing. And, and they, they play it out precisely the right length. They give it three full-on rings before he answers it. Just really hammer it home. Uh, I thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he answers his phone and relays that, you know, Mother's not where he is, but he gets instructions to get the girl. And so then he just pummels the shit out of Tifa. Yeah. <laughs> knocks really her up. quite viciously. <laughs> no, yeah. Knocks her up against a pillar, then knocks her through the pillar with a punch. And is, is just towering over, ready to... He's got this, like, power fi- electro power fist thing that is really menacing as a weapon, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of... You get the sense that it's sort of... It's got, like, two spikes on it. You get the sense that you kind of jab it into someone then charge it, and it just sort of does the punching. Yeah. So you it, kind of, like, like, viciously stab it into someone, and then, then it just... It, it carries <laughs> further just, momentum, yeah. Yeah. Just, like, like shockwaves them away. Like, like, very interesting weapon. I like the weapon design concept. Yeah. Loz and Yazoo both, um, I find, uh, well-designed. Uh, Kadash as well. Like, like I said, I wish the movie was really about them as the villains and it, they weren't just there to get us to Sephiroth. Yeah, I I cuz they are and is some of that fatigue maybe from all of the other final fantasy that shoved in our faces that here's this one original concept and it's 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 paid as much attention as everything else is, but everything else has something supporting it already. Where here we just have, there's some, I don't know, I just see potential in them that we didn't have with uh, some of the things we were more familiar with. Yeah, I think that's it. I think because, as you say, like everything else already had gravity uh, given to it, afforded to it by the previous game. Uh, Kadaji's gang, as they're called, uh, just feel like filler, yeah. like filler villains. They're given as much attention, as you say, as the rest of the movie, but they don't have all the backstory backing them up. Right. So they just feel like the movie's treading water in the villain uh, stakes just until we get to what everyone's waiting for. Yeah, that is that is a bummer. They'd have achieved just as much if they'd have just done, if they'd have just done the fight with Sephiroth. Yep. And just released that as a short film. <laughs> So before Luz can 
take out Tifa. And he's, like, right over her, ready to just punch this through her face. Uh, Marlene has busted into Cloud's box-o-materia and throws one at him. Because she doesn't know how to use materia. <laughs> That's not how you use materia. Oh, Marlene, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Uh, it's not very effective, but it does point out to Law's another highly valuable thing he could take. Mm-hmm. So he just he's distracted and leaves Tifa there. Um, yeah. Again, continuing the theme of having the hero be, and you know, once a movie that uh, uh, can be you know a dramatic moment, not every fucking fight, <laughs> right? And they could have killed a character, you know. Yeah. They did it once before. Could have gone Game of Thrones on us. Mm-hmm. Suck killing them all off. Oh, man. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the uproar? Mm. Oh, man. Now, oh, now I'm thinking about, like, a, uh, it, 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 imagine a Final Fantasy VII cast, right? And it's two years after the events of Midgar, right? Okay. But it's mm-hmm. Scream. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch that. One of them's the serial killer. <laughs> and slowly oh knocking God. the rest of them off. Square Enix, it's not too late. This thing's like, what, 10 years old, if that? You can like, still like do longer? it. <laughs> like, no one considers this canon anymore, surely. <laughs> do over. Do Advent Children Plus, and it's a whole different thing. It's just Scream. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Oh, oh, yeah, so Cloud goes back to the church, and he finds Tifa unconscious and unable to tell Cloud who did it because she's never met this guy before. Um, And then his geostigma flares up pretty bad and starts producing a black ooze from his arm. You should really get that checked out. And then he takes a nap. And when he wakes, he's in a bedroom somewhere else with Tifa. And Reno and Root are also here. And apparently they brought them to this place. Cool. Elsewhere, Kadash pops some of Cloud's materia, and Marlene probably feels pretty stupid about how she tried to use it after witnessing that. Uh, Tifa then wakes up and confronts Cloud about him hiding his geostigma and, and you know, that he's going to die. But Cloud's too busy moping about what a failure he is. And they get interrupted by Rude and Reno, who say that they have located Kadash at the Forgotten City. Hey, I know that place. I heard about that place. I've seen it in a game. Are, are they are they in someone's old bedroom in, like, n- you know, Nibelheim or something in this scene? Probably. 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 It's probably just a place I don't recognize because I don't remember that well. Yeah. That's because we're casuals. We're not true fans. We don't recognize every single bedroom. Right. My, you know, and I apologize. I really, we're probably not the people to be doing this because we know so little about Final Fantasy VII. But it's fucking disgusting. <laughs> uh, so at the Forgotten City, Kadaj is addressing all the kids, and he blames the Geo stigma on the planet, saying it's killing those that inherited mother's mimetic legacy. There it is again. <laughs> Uh, carry on. He promises to cure the kids and give them power so they can all get revenge on the planet together. He is like the anti-Captain Planet. 
or something. Kind of. Yeah. 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 And then he wades into water and turns it black and takes a drink and gets all the kids, except Marlene, who's there but doesn't even have the geostigma, uh, to drink with him. And they all get cat eyes. <laughs> okay. That's how you know. That's how you know they're bad. That's how you know they're bad. They got the cat eyes. Uh, riding to the city on his motorcycle, Cloud has a brief hallucination of being in a field of flowers with Aerith, saying he wants to be forgiven. This is a bad time for this. <laughs> and when he asks, when she asks who he wants to forgive him, he's back on the bike. That would unsettle me, but, you know. I'd be a little bit worried, yeah. Um, uh, Kadash and, and crew confront Cloud as he's riding up, and they first try shooting him with their gun blades. Which, okay. It's, I always thought of that as more of a Final Fantasy VIII thing. The, the, the gun blades. You can have them in here. Right. Th- that game had come out by then. Yeah. Well, sure. Oh, okay. It's a shared universe, like Marvel. Is it? No. <laughs> uh, so they charge the gun blades, and then they instead uh, use the... They're pretty cool, though. They are pretty cool. Uh they use the classic bad guy strategy of having all of the children that they've now converted to their cause stand in the road. Yes. Causing Cloud to wipe out his bike. But not in a way that would have actually saved more children than if he had just <laughs> driven through them. Yeah, because, I mean, really, like, like the optimal positioning of a bike has you, like, as a much thinner... Right. If the crowd... Thinner, uh, if there's a crowd yeah. of children on the street, like, this is this is kind of the trolley problem, I guess, in a way. But if you're on a motorcycle traveling at a very high speed, you have a certain wealth, uh, width, and your propulsion is going to cause you to, you know, cut a narrow swath through these. You might... It might hurt some people, for sure. But is that not preferable to the whirling death machine that your bike becomes when it goes from traveling forward at a high velocity on wheels to landing on its side and dragging forward? Just careening into them, yeah. (laughs) Which, and it doesn't matter because they can all jump out of the way because they're magic kids now. That's it, yeah. They're magic cat kids. He could have. He couldn't have known. None, that. It didn't he matter. couldn't have known that. No. So well, I mean, honestly, he was probably surprised the bike like didn't jump over the children, <laughs> since physics don't apply anywhere else in. This well, they movie. don't apply to him, and maybe that's what it is. Yeah. He forgets that while physics don't apply to him, they do apply to other things he interacts with. Yeah, like if you drop something, it'll fall on the ground. Yeah. It won't just like if he'd continue fly to at someone and try and punch them. Yeah, he could have flipped it down and then like jumped and whipped mm-hmm. the bike over his own head and landed on the other side. Right? I could see that as a maneuver you know, that would work. What he should have done was like popped one of the swords out of it, <laughs> jammed it on the front, and the swords would have just like had it fly in the air. Right. That seems to be how swords work in in this movie, is that they are themselves propulsion devices. 
just just whack a couple swords like like f- like like you get them pointing up at the sky, <laughs> jam them on the handlebars, it will just fly up over the kids. <laughs> or or alternate, you just take a sword, treat it like a pole vault, right? Just mm-hmm. pull one out, shove it in the ground in front of you, and launch the bike over. Right? That would have given Square Enix something to like come hard over, and wouldn't be any more ridiculous than the other shit that goes on in the film. Just pole vault over the kids while still riding the bike <laughs> with a sword. <laughs> that is such a Square Enix idea, I'm shocked they didn't do it. Uh, it was right in front of them the whole time. Yeah, uh. have to do their jobs for them. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> fighting happens. Cloud gets beaten up pretty good by the end because it is, you know, kind of like three on one. And he loses his cell phone. But a red cape flies in and pulls him out. I think I have a feeling I'm going to recognize him. I feel like I've seen it somewhere before. Oh, it's Vincent who's been observing what's been going on and further explains that geostigma is a physical reaction to have a little bit of Sephiroth in you. He also reveals that Elena and Sang, the other two members of the Turks, uh, they're still alive, uh, and that they'd found Genova's head in the northern cave, uh, which in the hands of Kadajan crew could be used to make a new Sephiroth. Yep, flat out states it here. Just to definitely let you know he's on the way. Yep. Vincent really should have just looked at the camera and said, don't worry, kids, he's coming. (laughs) Marlene finds Cloud, who asks Vincent to take her back to Seventh Heaven. And that pisses Marlene off because of how absent Cloud has been. And then he reflects on a conversation he had in that bedroom with Tifa before coming here, in which he wasn't going to come here because he's still carrying guilt over Aerith's death, and then I guess he's mocked by Aerith in his own head for having these feelings. Yeah. Kind of harsh. So he decides to take Marlene home himself. And she's all happy about it. And as Cloud's cell phone drifts down into the black, watery oblivion in the Forgotten City, it plays a message from Reeve. Hey, I know him. I recognize him from the game Final Fantasy VII by Square. Asking how, how Cloud manages to stay in business. And one from Yuffie. Hey, I recognize her too. Yeah, like this, this is like we're, we're in a normal sequel to a film or a game. You'd like actually show what the characters have been up to, but here, as like with the Barrett message from earlier, it's just phone messages just to quickly get out of the way where they are. And you're just watching a lit phone fall into blackness. Yes. It's uh, like some of the most hurried, get it out the way storytelling you could see. Uh, Yuffie says that all the kids at Wutai have gone missing. Um, so, what, this is all children affected now? What? That seems, like, odd. Okay. And, and, and then they get, and then, and then he's got a message from Aerith somehow <laughs> that says she never blamed Cloud for her death. Okay. Back at Edge, which, in case you've forgotten, is built at the edge of the ruins of Midgar and will not be here 498 years from now. <laughs> 
Yes, it was an apocalypse uh, in this world's future. Laws, laws. I don't know what it is. Don't care. They're they're surrounded by people at a memorial to the meteor fault, proving once again that the first thing every rebuilding society needs to do is build a fucking monument to the destruction of the old society. Yes. Of course, that would be that would be more important than this plague. Than fixing the plague or getting a plumbing system up and running. They're all shitting in their hands in this world, I like to think. But we got that memorial to get the monument thing built. sorted. Yeah. Uh, so some shadow beasts are summoned to push the crowd back. Can you imagine if cops had this shit at protests? Oh, I, I wouldn't. Like, just how horrifying that would be. That would be... I mean, they'd use them. They would use them. They'd, oh, yeah. They'd use them. We'd see that shit. Uh, they'd be turning off their little cameras on their chests, <laughs> and then the Shadow Beast would come out. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now, there's some conspiracy theory shit. That's dark. Like, people don't know. Maybe the cops do have them. I reckon they do. I reckon definitely. And they're just turning the body cams off. Oh. Yeah. Turn off the body cam, bring out the shadow beasts. <laughs> Defo. Defo's what's happening. Chemtrails, people. Yeah. That's how they make the shadow beasts. It's called chemtrails. Geostigma's turning the frogs gay. <laughs> uh, and then they try to pull the monument down, but they're interrupted by Reno and Rude. And Yazoo surmises that this means correct. He's correct. Shinra's hidden Genova's head beneath the monument, which, in his defense, sounds like a very Shinra thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, automatically undermining that astute observation, though, is the fact that the body language of Reno and Rude make it very clear they are stalling them. Yeah, but they have also been so goofy and incompetent up to this point that they, That's true. they like they could just have been told that it's under there and they're fading the shock badly <laughs> like there's well, that is true because they do get really annoyed when they're accused of lying they, yes they're the they're they've taken on the wild card role that Kate Sis should be playing here yes and that so that's yeah that's why it works or not or does, or doesn't. I- I'm really not sure, because I'm so confused <laughs> by them. It works within the very self-contained nature of a movie that is by design not self-contained at all. <laughs> In the ruined Shinra office building, which I guess is back under construction or not, above this whole scene. I think, I think he just likes to hang out there. Yeah, Rufus just chills there. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget, he was fucking obliterated in Final Fantasy VII. Obliterated. Uh, He's managed to pull Not to the point where he's just got to wear an eye patch that apparently is just there for show. Well, I like that when he starts to explain how he survived when he's talking to Cloud, Cloud so does not give a shit, and so we never find out. Yeah. 
I appreciate Oh, yeah, that. he does, because he's like, yeah, when I was in that bill, and it's just like, oh. I, I don't care. <laughs> Let's move on. It's it's actually a I would bit, care. It's it's very similar. Even if I was cloud. Yeah. Sorry. He was, well, I was going to say, it's very similar to how my wife tries to tell me stories. You know, and she wants to give me all the details. I'm like, look, I just don't care. Get to the point. <laughs> it's exactly And that like is pretty that. much how Cloud did it. Yeah. yeah. But even if I was as disconnected and broody as Cloud, I'd still be like, how did that work? Yeah, yeah hold up here, because you were really fucked. Yeah. Like, you were blasted to bits. And now you're here with a bit of a bandage on. <laughs> you'd think you'd have some curiosity about that. Then again, one thing we didn't point out is right near the beginning of the film, <laughs> Cloud is shot point blank in the face and all it yes, does is knock is. his glasses off. In that initial fight on the bikes. Yes. Like point six blank inches with a from his gun. forehead, he takes a bullet. And he's got a scratch. A bit of a little bit of a scratch. Get a little scratch. Like, I've always wondered about this. Like In worlds where you've got characters like Cloud and Sephiroth and Dragon Ball Z, where you've got you know these immensely powerful characters that can be exploded and suffer no damage, like if you just like got a little bit of their skin and pinched it between your fingernails, do you think that would hurt them? I've always wondered that. Like, can they take a big old explosion? But, like, if you really, like, you know, just, like, give them a nipple twister or something. Like, is that going to bother them? Is and that their weakness? Not, the incidental dumb yeah. pain? <laughs> but, that, like, you know, because it's like if you concentrate on a really tiny area rather than a big explosion, like, it always hurts more. It's more acute. Right. So it's like, do they actually feel that? And if not, like, what if one of them's, like, a sub? They are fucked and not literally. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, they're in this building, and Rufus asks Kadaj what he means by requiring Genova's cells to return to what he what he was. It's like, how many times do we need to remind the viewer? Like, and it's so close now, too. Yeah, they're, they're yet, getting impatient, the kids. And yet, okay, we are f- now 40 minutes into this 98-minute movie. Mm-hmm. And that bears pointing out because it feels like we are at the final 10-minute climax battle. <laughs> like, it's just about to happen. We're cusping. Well, we kind of are. <laughs> we kind of are. <laughs> it's just going to drag out for the next 40 minutes. It's just the rest of the film. <laughs> uh, so, Kadaj confirms that what they were is Sephiroth, but admits to not really knowing who Sephiroth is, and his fears that Genova loves Sephiroth more than he, Genova being this dead meteor. Like, let's remind mm-hmm. everybody, Genova was a thing in a meteor. Meh. Rufus notes that this is that just a rehash of the old problem. Uh, that problem being Sephiroth. Yeah. But but also the, hair, old shit. the life stream is all about cycles of life and death, and then this is just part of that, and that means the planet is always destined to win. That seems like some optimistically faulty logic. Which you know, like the kind of logic I bet he denies climate change. Well, yeah, it sounds like the kind of logic that leads you 
to run a power company that drains the life force of a planet. Mm-hmm. A bit like what he was doing before. That's how you get there. Uh, Kadash then summons Bahamut, which descends on Edge. And, you know, it wouldn't have been Final Fantasy VII without a summon. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll let him off for that one. Uh, Tifa tries to drag Denzel away from the monument, but that kid ain't moving. And Bahamut drops right in front of them before moving to tear apart the monument to the... Well, Denzel's fine. He's just waiting for Goofy and Donald to show Sora. up. Sora. So. It's, it's so, yes. Yeah, he'll be fine. Yeah, he'll be fine. Uh, at, at the amused... Ex- the, the, the horror... Expressions of horror on Reno and Rude's faces at watching Bahamut tear apart the, the monument is pretty good. Pretty choice. Mm-hmm. Did enjoy it. Uh, the the animations overall, I mean they're they're pretty decent overall, but the animation work done on Reno for all my complaints about the characterization are really good. They, they went really to like, great like, effort to misportray the character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they misportrayed Reno really well. Uh, and so they're chased away by Yazoo and Lowe's. Uh, the monument is destroyed, giving uh, Yazoo and Lowe's time to catch up, and that they do the comic relief fighting yes although i will say like even though it is comic relief it is interesting that they still had them hang pretty impressively with them mm-hmm. with you know sephiroth clones descendants things whatever yeah rufus and, and, and rude they get their licks in and <coughs> and they do get their asses yeah. kicked comically Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I the, but I think anyone who can like survive a punch that is delivered with such force, it should just cause total body disruption. Um, I mean, that's impressive. And the execution of the comic relief is good. It's well-executed comic relief for the wrong characters. But if you're going to do it, it, with these guys, they did it right. I love the sequence where they have Rude up against... A, a street pole, basically, and he's dazed. Mm. And then the highway signs that were on that street pole fall on him, and uh, directly on his head, and daze him. And then R- Reno falls down, and he catches him, and the two of them collapse. Yeah. And then just that, that little bit of escalation where, I can't remember if it's Yazoo or Lowe's, steps on Rude's glasses. Yeah. And he is sad in the way that only an anime character can be sad <laughs> about something like that. Yeah. And then they stand up and he reaches into his into jacket, his... pulls out another pair of sunglasses and puts them on. And it's perfect. See, that I didn't mind because that actually is... That, is a rude, that would quite... be a rude thing to do. That's a rude move. Yeah. That's a rude move. He gets his glasses crushed. He gets back up and without a second thought, or well, you know, he mourns briefly those ones, then gets up and he's just got another pair. Yes, and he that has them ready, survived all the fighting. That's who these guys are. Yes, or, or should or be. should be right. <sighs> Denzel wakes up next to Tifa. Sora. I keep getting that name wrong. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and he's no longer got the cat eyes. And so he decides he's going to directly attack Bahamut. 
And he hasn't even got his keyblade with him. Uh, Bahamut's just digging around in the hole that it made of the monument. Like, you know, just like an animal rooting around. He's desperate to get some head. But before... <laughs> but before Denzel can be unceremoniously killed, Barrett appears with his gun arm to save the day. Oh, and mm-hmm. Red 13's there too! With, <gasps> with the Kate Sith robot riding on his back! Yeah, who you barely can spot during all of the dizzying action. It, it's incredibly to the point disappointing. Where... Like, I, I, I like... I think it's great and all that he's riding on Red 13's back, but I want my fucking Moogle. Yeah, I wanted to see the fucking Moogle. They probably thought it was too silly. I bet that's what it was. It was too silly for their brooding dark movie. <laughs> so they, they stuck the cat on Red 13's back. And it's so easy to miss that when I first saw the movie, I wondered why does Red 13 speak with that squeaky voice? And and was he always did he always have a Scottish thing going? That's I think that's one of the the big things about hearing these characters voiced. Is that they're trying to do trying to make him Scottish. Was he Scottish before? See, I always like got the uh, the idea that if they were to ever do a live action movie, he'd be voiced by Steve Buscemi. He'd have like some sort of like American sleazy like thing going on. Yeah, yeah. I always sort of imagined the voice being a little meowth, actually. A little meowth. I mean, I, yeah, that still works. And, yeah. and, this, and this was before you know I knew what Pokemon was, or but that was the vo- when I heard but meowth. That, that was kind the voice, voice that yeah. in my head I was like, yeah, that's what Kate Sith sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have no idea what that was. It is, it is very strange. I can't believe this movie is is still canon, is it? I have no I idea. I can't be. It's been so long, and it's been so non-affecting. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's Kate Sith, and things are looking bad for Barrett with Bahabit bearing down, but here's Yuffie to the rescue, there to get her material, and... Sora, representing the significant others of Final Fantasy VII for fans forced to watch the film, asks, Who is that? Which could apply to any of these people. I mean, maybe it mm-hmm. means Sid, who's also there with his airship, the Shara. Oh, and Vincent too. Oh yeah, just thrown in as an aside for no reason. It's like you're in the middle of a fight. Why are you just pointing out saying, hey, look at this that I've got? Uh, uh, Vincent's there. In a propes. And, and when Tifa says, they're friends... Sora just sort of gives her a blank stare as Cloud rolls up to join the party and basically says, fuck this, I'm going to the bar. And he leaves. <laughs> he does, yeah, he's, he's gone. It's like, Enough of you, you, you're going to come back to the bar after this, right, Cloud? Okay, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> fighting continues. I'm going to go get hammered after this shit I've seen. Everybody's fighting Bahamut above edge. Shit gets knocked down. People are just jumping on the goddamn dragon's back like, that's a good idea. Uh, finally, Cloud manages to get his shit together and, and then rather quickly starts kicking its ass. Uh, back on the building, Kadaj is just downright giddy and, like, ready to start summoning something else. But Rufus has other ideas, revealing that he has been holding Genova's head in his lap this whole time. Mm-hmm. What? The whole time. 
Yeah. Well, like he said, if he was a good son, he'd have known. And then he just sort of gleefully chucks it over the side. Cut back. Yeah, just throws it off the building so it's all folded in a box, in a shoebox. Cut back to Bahamut. Flying up to do a big old blast thing. And Cloud jumps up after him. Being propelled by each of his friends along the way. Like, they all jump out to defy the laws of physics together. <laughs> and contribute their own energy. Yeah, I don't think you can energy. actually, like... You fall down and grab someone. I don't think you can then, like, you've got the momentum to fling them up while you're going down. I think you just drag them down with you. <laughs> but it looks cool. It sure That's does. what's important. Uh, and he gains in momentum until there's this wave of energy breaking across him. And this allows him to penetrate the energy ball that Bahamut releases. Ooh. And while he's in there, he sees Aerith. He's like, hey, what's up? <laughs> comes out to the other side to gut the dragon which falls to the ground and it dematerializes now Kataj attacks Rufus in anger before leaping after the box that's been thrown over the side like these events are happening simultaneously a lot's going on now and Genova's head goes careening down the side of the building and Kataj is chasing after it. Rufus is shooting after them. And yeah. This is, as far as I'm concerned, this is all part of the final fight. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, Rufus puts a bullet in that box and then is caught in nets, fired by Elena and Sang, who have apparently now recovered and arrived just in time to save the day. Yeah, from torture so bad that Vincent, like, almost implies they were dead. But they're fine. They're fine now. Not scratch on them. Kadaj has no time to celebrate, though, because Cloud's on the way. So he and his gang all wind up on their bikes to do more chasing with Cloud. And there's a, a not bad fight sequence in a tunnel here, actually. Where we really yeah. get to see how many swords Cloud has. He's <laughs> got a lot. A lot of swords. They were collected over the course of the game. Yes, well, sure, because I mean, personally, I just sold them. I sold the ones he didn't. I was going to use. Yeah. Canonic, canonically, he kept all of he them. He kept them all. It just kept putting them in his motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Uh, there is Better to have a sword full of motorcycles and not need it. Well, and, and at one point he, in this fight, he takes two swords. like He puts the one sword inside the other sword. I don't know why. Oh, yeah, yeah, because... Because his swords can all like snap together like Duplo. And, and I guess I, I guess go with Legos, to demonstrate that I'm he had a sword within a sword already Duplo. because he's going to need a sword within a sword later. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't he have just had a sword it's, that it's, had a it's sword? Chekhov's, in it? Chekhov's sword in a sword. <laughs> <laughs> Further down the road, Rito and Root are waiting outside of the tunnel with bombs. So as Cloud rides past, the bombs explode. Though Rito and Root are never seen throwing them. They're just, like, standing there grinning like idiots as they count down in their hands. Yeah, the idea is, I guess, that they sacrificed their lives to take out um, uh, Yazoo and Lois. But it was totally not necessary, because they just, like, had a casual chat about the bobs that they could have, like, I don't know. Could have just left them there. Yeah, just tossed just inside the tunnel and walked away. 
But basically, they wanted to have like a heroic sacrifice moment so that it'd be heartwarming. And they just had these two characters knocking about, so let's just have them hold some bombs. Well, we've already used them for everything else. Yeah, yeah. They, they filled in all of the other entertainment remits that aren't just fighting, even though they've even done some of that. They're overworked. They should have been paid more. <laughs> this is their retirement package right here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that presumably traps Yazoo and Lowe's in the tunnel, leaving just Kadaj for Cloud to deal with. And after tearing off his shirt sleeve to reveal that he's now wearing Tifa's ribbon on his arm, he follows Kadaj to the church. Because who needs another environment? Mm-hmm. Use what you got. They've, they've spent a lot, of, a lot of money. It's a big CG movie, very expensive. And there, Kadaj is all weepy because most of what was left of Genova has leaked out of the box. All been smashed up, yeah. Shot to bits. They ride their motorcycles into the building. Like, for a place that Cloud has been living and obviously has, like, a lot of emotional connection tied up in. Yeah, the flowers are there and everything. He just rides the motorcycle through the doors. <laughs> and, and Kadaj takes out a pillar with whatever material he's using now. Yeah. And I don't know how any of that building is still standing. I uh, yeah, no, it's it's baffling. But uh, those are some They're, strong I, pillars. They are got to be load-bearing pillars. It's got well, yeah, clearly it was cuz it's bearing the load of him on a motorcycle <laughs> driving up it. <laughs> That's what you should have done with them kids earlier. Just sort of drove up and over each one. <laughs> So Kadaj is up on this, like, collapsed pillar, ready to take out Cloud with his whatever magic that he's using. When the life stream bubbles up from the floor of the church, raining on Cloud and healing his geostigma. And like a vampire seeing a cross, Kadaj just runs off to more ruins. So when Cloud catches up, they do the fighting. And Cloud's friends watch from the airship And Genova, uh, the, the actual uh, tune Genova plays. Yes, Genova is playing. And Vincent explains to the gang. <laughs> and you know what? Credit where credit's due. They recognize what confusing bullshit their stories are which is why we are now getting the fourth explanation that Kadaj is like you know a pre-Sephiroth he's Seth Light mm-hmm. and, and and you know so he's gonna be a real Sephiroth soon and when Yuffie totally fairly asks what the fuck is going on here Sid gets super sexist on her ass. And she calls him out on it. And Barrett, who is woke as fuck, is like, yeah, hey, look, I'm a dude and I can't understand this shit either. So why don't you back off with your gender shit and, and make Good sure you have appreciation for your equals here, Sid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... 
it's really a moment that I think we could... Uh, that, there you go. Barrett's developed as a character. So it's Barrett and Cloud, and that's it. And it's just Barrett in this one moment. <laughs> then again, like even in the game, though, Sid was always sort of a bit of a like he had you know hang-ups about the way he treated women. And Barrett, I mean, had teeth as part of Avalanche and was all very sort of already. He was no, he was super progressive. Hashtag resist trips. So I don't even think there's character development terrorist. here. Like, we should remember he was an environmental terrorist. He was like Greenpeace. Greenpeace respects the fuck out of women, right? I don't know that if that's true, actually. Pro- I don't know. I hope so. I don't know. I hope so for my sake. I mean, I, I, they're called Greenpeace, you should hope. You would think. Anyway, back to the fighting. Right, yeah, so uh, Kadash and Cloud do the fighting until Kadash is clinging to the edge of a building with Cloud above him. He's still holding the Genova box. So he throws that into the air and then leaps towards it. I don't know why that's different from just, like, lifting it above his head, dumping the shit on him, but... It's just not as cold, I guess not. He absorbs whatever cell shit was inside, gets all smoky for a bit, and lands, and when Cloud follows with what would be a killing blow, it's suddenly Sephiroth. Yep. Uh, Which basically means everything Rufus has done has been pointless. Yep. It basically means that the entire plot up to now was pointless. It's almost as if everything was an excuse to get to this bit. And Sephiroth reveals his master plan, which is to choke the planet with geostigma by having it cycle through the life stream, eventually killing the planet, and turning it into an interstellar vessel Sephiroth could ride through the cosmos just like his mother. So I guess we all inevitably do become our parents. Um... <laughs> Cinematic fighting happens. Sephiroth tries to drop the top of a building on Cloud. Did I say cinematic? Yeah. I meant I climactic. Mean, My bad. Climactic. Yeah. It this whole sequence, this I mean, it's all playing from the beginning right through to the end of One Wing Danger. Yep. Um, Start to finish. Get the whole song. It's fucking ridiculous. It is again, like if you turn your brain off and just watch, I'll admit, dazzling, stupid fun. But physics did weep. I, I don't even think it's that dazzling. Like I say, I'm not into these two guys who are suspended in air swinging swords. And a lot of uh, this yeah, feels yeah. like that. There is a lot of that. It's, so, yeah. I did, I did like the bit where Sephiroth says, I decided to get you a present, shall I give you despair? I, did, I always liked that line. That's a good line. line. Um, and, and, and and the dialogue exchange where he asks what Cloud treasures so they can take it from him. Mm. And that clever Cloud outwits him by saying he treasures everything. Yeah, he's greedy like that. Covers us. It's very, uh... He's like Trump. <laughs> <laughs> they do some final clashing. Cloud wins, question mark? I guess he wins doesn't seem like yeah. a big victory, but uh, Sephiroth taunts him one more time and then turns back into Kadaj, who collapses. And Aerith's voice is heard telling Kadaj it's okay to let go, and Kadaj thinks it's Genova, and so he returns to the life stream from Cloud's arms. <sighs> Goodbye, Kadaj. 
The rain falls on Edge and heals those affected with the geostigma, including Rufus. On the airship, Cloud's friends are celebrating, and Tifa acknowledges to a bit of moisture that Aerith never left them. And Cloud, crouched and exhausted in the rain, is approached by Yazu and Laws, who seem to be uncomfortable in the rain, and attempt one last strike at revenge on Cloud, and there's a big explosion! Cloud floats in light, and we hear the voices of Aerith and Zack talking about him, and he awakens back in the church, surrounded by his friends and the people of Edge, and, and then he baptizes Denzel to cure him of the geostigma? Yeah. No, that is what happens. And, and, and now, like, that moment, that scene, sort of changes all of Final Fantasy for me. Right? All of Final Fantasy VII. Right. Because now he's like Cloud the Baptist? Mm-hmm. He always was. He he performed many baptisms in the game. I, I'm surprised you never I, got I, to those so, points. There, there's a font in every town you visit where he can do a baptism. So it, That's how you get Knights of the Round. <laughs> <laughs> so then is Genova God who gave her only son... To die for the sins of the world? Like a reverse god, I guess. Because it's like... Because Sephiroth wanted to kill everything. Right. So it's like... Like, bad god. Right. So is... But there's a lot of kids out there with the stigma. So now is... Cloud got to travel around the world, like, baptizing children? I think what happens is Cloud's only one man can only do so many baptisms. So he's going to need some Most apostles. Most of the people... I don't even think that. I think what's going to happen is he's only one bloke. Can't baptise everyone in time. Everyone starts dying out 498 <laughs> years later. <laughs> There's no one a fucking round except for the dog people. So everyone cheers, and Cloud looks around the room, and he sees Aerith walking out of the church with Zack leaning against the door. And they say goodbye and leave as Cloud watches them, having discovered that the real self-love was in the friends he made along the way. <laughs> and Reno and Rude are dead. And Reno and Rude are dead. <laughs> and that's Advent Children Complete? <laughs> So, Conrad, did you like Final Fantasy VII Advent Children Complete or not? It's not bad. Uh, it's Square Do it with Square Do. It, it looks very pretty. They have a real mastery of these visuals. It is nonsensical yeah. trash. It's the sort of thing that I, I think plays would play really well in a uh, hipster bar. You ever go to, like, a hipster bar, and they got TVs all over the place, and they're playing, like, Taxi Driver or some shit? Gotcha, gotcha. Never been in one, but another sort of yeah. thing you're talking about. Yeah, this would be great there. Just something that you can look at and be, like, visually distracted by for a few seconds before you go back to drinking. Yeah. Perfect for that. No, yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy. Yeah, it's okay. Like I say, it, it feels more like a fan film than an actual attempt at a sequel, uh, and it is pure fan service. 
story-wise, it's complete nonsense. Uh, I do think they missed a trick with Kadage and, and Yazu and Lars, who could have been interesting villains, but were clearly there just to be Sephiroth later. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I remember enjoying it a lot more in the past than I did this time. And I certainly think I certainly think it could have been a lot worse. Is the other side? Oh, of most this. definitely. Uh, I mean, the Square Enix of today could have made it for one. <laughs> I, uh, Rude and Reno aside, uh, and, and that weird Kate Sith voice that does bug me, they were generally respectful of the characters, uh, what little they devoted to them, because it's a big ensemble cast and they can't give really anybody a whole lot of time. Um, yeah, so they opted to give nobody a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, and, and the people that they opted to give time to, in terms of having dialogue, uh, are the people that it made, made sense for those characters to reappear. You're Vincent, like. People love Vincent. I don't. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Plus, they had Dirge of Cerberus to sell, so that's true. You know that that was coming up. Um, Got to make sure he's got given some prominent time. The Rufus thing is strange that he survived, but imagine, uh, imagine if he'd played Final Fantasy VII, yeah, but never discovered Vincent because he's you know an optional <laughs> character is, yeah. and off the beaten path a bit, and you went straight to Edmund Children. And you saw Yuffie and Vincent. You'd be so fucking confused. <laughs> Who are these people? More, I think, than someone who'd never played the game to begin. <laughs> because at least then you're like, you're on for the ride. You're like, ah, whatever, I don't get any of this. But the, your expectation of getting it becomes pretty minimal early on. But and it's like, who the fuck is this new character? Yeah, yeah. Vincent comes into a non-familiar person. It's just like, oh, okay, it's another character. But it would. Oh wait, Yuffie said, "Who stole my materia? Did she make the stuff?" But yeah, it would wreck the brains. Of... Wow. Yeah, <laughs> this is one of those things Scrambling. where I would like if if anyone out there uh, listening has children and time on their hands, uh, it would be great if we could do a little experiment. <laughs> Play Final Fantasy VII with your child, but make sure. That they don't experience any of that Yuffie Vincent side game content. Uh, and then show them Advent Children and, and just, you know, let us know what happens. Because I'm not going to endorse this myself because I don't know if that's child abuse. Because <laughs> I sincerely think it would hurt the brain of someone who's for Advent Children. Ah, <laughs> uh, kids bounce, they're pliable. Uh, that's true so what are we doing um, next time Jim? don't bounce your kids uh, we are doing Agent 47 we're doing Hitman Agent 47 oh the, the reboot the of the hit, fran- uh, hit Hitman film franchise yes yes that the story um, and the series for which we, we have so much love and fondness uh, coming back in a whole fresh new take yeah, 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 yeah. So fresh that Timothy Oliphant has transformed into Rupert Friend. Uh, uh, but Zachary Quinto's in it, huh? I, I, People like him. I do like me some Zachary Quinto. Yeah. I, American Horror Story. I mean, he seems pretty one note. Zachary Quinto. He might be good in this. I don't know, I'm not seeing it. This is the 2015 movie. Uh, Agent, uh, I keep saying... Keep starting with Agent Hitman, Agent 47, starring Rupert Friend. And it was released in 2015. So that's so that's what we're doing next time. In a fortnight. Yep. Okay. And then we got to go. Yeah. Uh, I've been in this chair way too fucking long, and I'm still nursing injuries from this past weekend. So 
We will be back in two weeks' time, as usual, to do a uh, Hitman. I almost said agent again. Hitman Agent 47. Uh, if you want to follow Conrad, he's on Twitter, at Conrad Zimmerman, or one word, at Conrad Zimmerman. Um, we also do a podcast together, a, a different one, uh, Fist Shark Marketing. Uh, you can see that at fistshark.com, and just look up Fist Shark Marketing on iTunes or other podcast places. And all that remains to be said is thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Cool.